Welcome to Animorphs Anonymous, the podcast where we used to read and discuss Animorphs. And now that that's over, we read and discuss Catherine Applegate and Michael Grant's other works, like Endling and Everworld and Gone. We also just talk about whatever we want, like how to lead speak, or are bird butts just like your lap? What T.E.? New episodes go up on the 1st and 15th of each month. Join us on the, the Apple, Apple Grant, Grant Book, Book Club. Club. <laughs> I don't have anything interesting to talk about. You did an like, entire ass convention. I mm-hmm. did do an entire ass convention. And we, we met a lot of cool people at the entire ass convention. It's yeah. True. You're the it fucking was, talent. All right. <laughs> You know, you, you, Alexander, you say one dumb thing, and she's like a little, a little bulldog, just latches onto it yep. forever. Yep. It's I'm, like when you say turn around. <laughs> exactly. I don't even remember what podcast that was on. Uh, Horkbiger. Oh, that's right. That's what it was. The entirety of the piranha <laughs> yes. pool swarmed you. Not that piranhas eat people. That is a myth. That's right. Animal facts. Animal facts. But yeah, Ichiban Khan was cool. Mm-hmm. What'd you do? Uh, we did some some improv panels. And we we talked about starting your own podcast. And we, we sold some Goblins and Growlers merch. And it was fun. We did... A couple of escape rooms, too, while we were out. The thing that stands out about that escape room. And before I even say this, I knew what the guy meant. I did. I knew what he meant. It didn't matter. It was a piranha moment. Uh, we walked in and he's like, hey, if y'all need to use the restroom, uh, they're over here. Uh, they're, there's two of them, one to the right and one to the left. They're single use. And I, I just turned around to Alex and Jenna and I was like, they're single use? Like you throw it away? Like it's a disposable bathroom? Like am I supposed to toss this thing as soon as I'm done? Do I flush the bathroom down its own toilet? Is it like a snake eating its tail bathroom? You see that like Jenna and I didn't come up with the most bat shit like, yeah, that's why we peed on top of each other's pee so it was a single use bathroom. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Which is not single use, by the way. That's double use. Uh... Don't reuse the disposable stuff. I assumed that the rules were that until you flushed, it was the same (laughs) use. But yeah, like I said, super nice man. He deserves better than people like me. Because like I said, I knew what he meant. But as soon as he said it, I was like, single use, huh? It's like the old cameras. You would take your pictures and then just turn them in. They're done. Were those called single use or were those called disposable? That's what I... Same thing. It's no. The same, it's the no. Same thing. You can have a single-use item that's not disposable. I'm sure of it. Wait, yeah. Where? Where does that exist, You can have Alex? a multi-use item that's disposable. That's true. You can yeah, have that's a multi-use. Not, that is... Nope. That is the that's logical not what I said. argument case. That, yeah, that is not what <laughs> she went with, so... Yeah, okay. So, uh, definitely thinking of things that are like... Hmm... Like something that's radioactive, so it's like single use, but you can't genuinely dispose of it. You have to like come up with a secondary thing. You gotta yeet it into space. 
Yeah, yeeting it in space is still disposing of it, though. Like, let's eh, be honest. Just because you're not throwing it in a trash can doesn't What about, mean. like, a single-use item that has to exist in perpetuity after its use? Such as? The Big Bang. Oh. That's not an item. <laughs> it's a noun. Think? Act. That is a verb. <laughs> it's a noun. <laughs> it is an act. Uh, what about a statue? You, you Damn it, that might be away. the... Nope. Well, that might be the one you don't argument, throw though. Yeah, it's a... yeah, you build that thing, you put it up one time, and, and then that's you're, it. you're done, you're but done. it never gets thrown away. You yeah. pull it down. Until the people of Virginia well, throw it in a river. Like yeah. I mean, the but that's the thing. But then, stuff. 500 years from now, someone's going to be swimming and see a hand sticking out of the mud <laughs> and go, what is that? They'll resurrect it. They'll be like, oh, it's a statue from the ancient civilization that we used to live here. We used to you have here. I, I don't know how you stumbled upon this, but you almost perfectly described the end of Planet of the Apes. Oh yeah, is, is that a movie? Yeah, that's that's a movie, and you almost <laughs> nailed the ending of it. That's a real thing that happened, though, Tim. Like in the <laughs> in the real world, that's how they discovered some like Grecian statues. A man was swimming at a beach and saw the hand in the mud, and he thought it was a human, so he got, went to pull it up, and it was like an ancient statue that was just at a beach. What? That is very very similar to Planet of the Apes. Or Not to spoil Planet life. of the Apes for you for like a fifty year old movie, but. Wait, which one happened first? Did Planet of the Apes happen first? Well, the statue's from, like, Greece, ancient Greece. Yeah, but when did he find it? Because then it, it depends. Ooh. If this happened oh. after, like, 75, this is life imitating art. I feel like it happened life. after 75. Let me look it up, though. What about 65? Yeah. <laughs> A million years ago, in the far future. Fucking Andrew. You guys, this is happening all the time. I couldn't even find the same story I was reading. This happened in 2015. Oh, here we go. August of 1972 were the ones I was thinking of. Okay, Ooh. when did Planet of the Apes come out? Ooh, okay. Planet of the Apes. I feel like after The original Charlton Heston version. 1968. Oh, I so I did close. not realize it was that old. That's old. Yeah. That old. I did not realize. That is older than I thought it was. Shit. <laughs> Shit. A giant Lego man washed up on a beach in Florida in 2011. How giant? Yeah, Eight feet to say. tall. Wait, did you just make that up, or is that true? No, it's. I'm reading it right now. How? Where do eight foot tall Lego men even occur? <laughs> On a beach men. in Florida. <laughs> Siesta Key in beach. the Pacific Rim. In the oh, Pacific yeah. Rim. The kaiju. The kaiju. <laughs> <laughs> An eight foot tall Lego man kaiju. So okay, so obviously the government is doing. Horrific experiments off the coast of Florida, right? For a, a Lego man to mutate like that? I assume that somebody flushed a regular Lego man. Like, this is how the urban Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, somebody flushed the urban... The, yeah. The urban and it grew large the in the man. sewers. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. That's why there's full-sized alligators in the city of New York. Yeah, and that's why and there's turtles. eight foot Lego men. Turtleman. Ligaman. Oh, Turtleman. Ligaman. I like how we just put man after everything. <laughs> Groceryman. So, this part of the book that we read. Yeah. This is where it gets good for me. Holy shit. Yeah? Yeah, this is where it, this is where it starts to go down. It sure did start to go down. It got real. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Got real and grim and dark and... Michael Grant is here. Yeah. So, like, you're sitting there with, like, the, the, the first quarter of the book, like we read last episode, 
and you meet a couple characters and you're like ah all right so so lord of the flies situation here are the bad guys and then on the next page is when the real the real bad guys start showing up the maybe real bad guys yeah i'll admit uh, like because tim and i talked about this a little bit at the con i'm not i'm like once i start doing this recap obviously i'm going to be reminded but i kind of forgot where we stopped and like and what we all knew since then but you're right now i've been living in this world with some new characters yeah that's what uh like because uh, i i accidentally went a little further than than what casey had said but it's okay i've read it before but uh uh and then i saw that kane and drake were showing up and i was like oh this is the the absolute perfect spot to to stop this and then just pick it up right there again kane and drake kane, kane and drake, drake. do what can drake do and this this goes back to the animorphs thing though it's like how how do you write the perfect story well, you need the, the the ability to create characters that I absolutely despise. Thank you, Michael Grant. And then it you need the ability to create characters that I absolutely love. Thank you, Catherine. Uh, and just the merging of those two parts. But it is kind of fun to break off and let <laughs> let Michael Michael run loose a little bit sometimes. But you end up some dark places there. Dude. We do. <sighs> yeah, it's just like completely amped up from the first part like the first part was like mm-hmm. oh shit it's gonna get bad and then this part is like it's bad <laughs> <laughs> it's gonna get worse you know it's gonna get worse dude the fucking animal mutations are so interesting mm-hmm. what mm-hmm. the fuck is going on mm-hmm. i started i've been watching not watching watching but listening to umbrella academy mm-hmm. and anybody who's seen that show knows that one of them is like a teleporter through time and space and he was doing something in the show the other day that I was like, whoa, don't try to like teleport through there. You'll get stuck. And then I was like, I'm mixing up rules. I don't know. I think that's a pretty, that's a pretty common teleporting rule. I will say in Umbrella Academy, he, five has not come up against that one time as far as I've been able to tell. He's always teleported like... to a clear location. Yeah. And, he did uh, get stuck though. In time. Was that the... Yeah. That that was a nightcrawler a nightcrawler thing was Right, he has to see where he's Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. For that same same kind of principle. But well, I don't want to do spoilers. For Nightcrawler? No, for that cat. Oh no. Um oh, What cat? No. There's a cat. Yeah. Uh the okay, so you're given the power right, but you don't have the ability to think about the consequences because that's the first thing i would think of if i could teleport is shit i better not go anywhere i better not land anywhere i don't wanna you know that's like sort of step one but if i'm not aware that that's even a problem i feel like that's any powers though right like any powers is oh i'm gonna use these things oh fuck did i think of all the problems that could come from using these things i okay like you're right but like with something like teleporting, I would think of it first. If yes. I had a similar power to say, uh, Sam, probably not. I'd just be shooting off fireworks in the backyard. Like that's that's how that would 
And then the consequences, I would learn them quickly. I like that so. Sam's like, oh, no, I created one little ball of light. I better mm-hmm. hide away my secret identity. And Tim's like, watch this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, also, another one of my favorite teleportation rules that comes from Nightcrawler. I'm sure it comes from, listen, don't at me, nerds, that it actually comes from the 1982 novel by, I don't know, Kurt Vonnegut or whatever. Don't fucking at me. What I'm saying is one of my favorite <laughs> rules is uh, Nightcrawler, when he's teleporting, it teleports at the same velocity. So if he was traveling 60 miles an hour and he's over there now, he's traveling over there at 60 miles an hour. And they they put that in the Sega Genesis game, like the old school one, where if you were falling as Nightcrawler and you teleported, you had to keep teleporting up to kill your velocity or you would just crash in the ground and die. And that's one of my favorite rules. Oh, that's a pretty good one. This is good one i just made a realization so nightcrawler is like one of my favorite mutants because teleportation is absolutely the power that i would have if i had a power and then i just realized i do have a teleporting pokemon on light starters and there's probably Ah. a reason for that are you discovering teleporting things about yourself (laughs) my my awareness has teleported into my brain jeez i was looking up the plot summary of Dead Eye Dick. Sure. Um, because it was the Kurt Vonnegut novel that was released in 1982. <laughs> uh, so I was just wondering what you landed on there. Oh, um, I just said things. <laughs> I know, I know, but I was just wondering what would come out of it. It's dark. Yeah? Yeah, like I read like the first two sentences and I'm like, Jesus. Should we read it? Should this be like our, our data podcast? Data no. movement podcast? No. Oh, Uh, yeah, I don't even want to read that out loud. Hang on. Now I got to go do it. Huh? Yeah. Yeah, that's quite a novel you landed on there, Alex, with your with your wild shot in the dark. Holy God, that's a lot. Wild. Right. Yeah. Wow. The good news is, is at the end of the book, he comes to terms with his actions or at least has come to live with them. Even though his entire town is destroyed by a neutron bomb. Did you did you read the next paragraph? No. <laughs> <laughs> this is all of us reading the, the Wikipedia plot summary in real time. There is a lot going on in this plot summary. Yeah, I couldn't. I, I, you None could of it not good. Have gotten yeah. me to predict the second <laughs> paragraph. <laughs> that is the most like throw on the kitchen sink thing I've ever seen right. in my life. Oh my god! But is there teleportation in the book? I put to you. <laughs> oh. Just, wow. So much. Yeah, yeah, that's a, it's a lot. I feel like I've read the book already. I know, and I I feel like I need to throw, like, a content warning for reading the Wikipedia plot summary. Honestly. (laughs) Honestly. What is, what are other, like, what are, I don't know that I know enough about his other books to. He wrote Slaughterhouse-Five, didn't he? We're about to find out. Yeah, Slaughterhouse Five, Harrison Bergeron, Bergeron probably. It's probably Bergeron. Cat's Cradle, Breakfast of Champions, The Sirens oh, of Titan. I didn't Play know Cat's Cradle was his. 
I've never read Slaughterhouse Five. I've never read Slaughterhouse Five either. I think I even own Slaughterhouse Five and meant to read it and because I don't know anything. Yeah, I don't think I have reading this summary. Well, I'm gonna read the Wikipedia. Holy shit! Sentence one: The story is told in a non-linear order by an unreliable narrator. So, like, what is this book? <laughs> Alex's life. <laughs> yes. <laughs> there is time travel. Yeah. Which I think counts as teleportation. I think so. As long as you don't move through it at the same pace as everyone else. Holy After shit. After r- reading this summary, I would much rather read Slaughterhouse-Five than Dead Eye Dick. I don't know now. Oh my god. This is wild. <laughs> this is also wild. What the hell, Kurt <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Vonnegut. So, teleportation reminds me of a little Pete, which reminds me of uh, the first part of the book where Sam did something and then he got like choked out in the in the power plant. But we we weren't sure if that was little Pete or if that was something else. And I'm like, what if it was just like a random like rat in the power plant that mutated a power to choke him out because. Rats have choke out powers. Because he almost stepped on the cheese. Yeah. I'm just, I'm trying to figure out where that fucking random choking came from, and I I can't. I feel like Pete is teleporting, but also telepathic and telekinetic. Okay. (gasps) Putting a lot on that kid. He's going to go up against Kane. Yeah. He's probably like a level six. Yeah. He's going to fight Kane. That's going to be the penultimate. Well, see, that's why that's why little Petey never speaks is because he can see into your mind. He knows your thoughts. Yeah. And he feels no need to speak to you about them. Hmm. <laughs> yes, <I> like... Tim. <laughs> no, I just like hearing your theories on the story. Oh, so it's not right, it's not right then. Because Tim knows. Oh, I didn't say that. Uh, I'm not saying anything. Uh, <laughs> I'm saying that there's a lot between you and nine books from now. Yeah, at least. Yeah, like, there's, there's a lot of ground to cover. So I'm not going to tell you right or wrong or end, not end, who fights who. You know what I'm saying? Like, we're not going to. But I like hearing it. I like hearing what you're getting from the story. Because what you're what you're getting from the story, I can tell you right now, very different than what I got from the story this deep into it. Half oh, a book in. What did yeah. you get from it half a book in? Not. I had no conclusions okay like y'all had y'all had theories after the first quarter of the book i didn't have any theories on why this was or what it was like none and i probably even halfway through the book and who was going to end up being important and who wasn't um yeah i had no good no good ideas and y'all were like cranking out good ones from the start if I wasn't on this podcast and like taking it slowly with you guys, no. I probably I might have theories like subconsciously, but I probably wouldn't like think That's about true. them necessarily. If I was just going straight through, I just I would just be in it for the ride. That's an interesting thing that I hadn't thought about is the level of like analyzing you do when you're going to sit down and talk about a book a quarter at a time. Yeah. Uh a quarter mile at a time. Yeah. Um but like I don't Maybe that's why I didn't, was because I didn't put forth the effort to guess. Yeah, you're just enjoying it as it was as it Yeah, was yeah. I, mean, I hadn't thought about that, though. I had just um, curled up in my little ball of I don't understand things, 
and Alex and Casey are way smarter than me, which is my sort of like usual place that I live in. I will say I don't usually guess unless I'm like forced to slow down and like discuss it unless the premise of the book is to get me to guess if it's like a mystery or, Mm -hmm. you know, there's clearly going to be some sort of culprit at the end, then I will try and guess because it's like, okay, challenge accepted. But if it's just like a regular ass fucking book and there's like maybe yeah. a little mystery element to it, I'm kind of, I'm just kind of like yeah do 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 do. If I'm if I'm reading books like along with friends like we did Dungeon Crawler Carl, we'll throw out a bunch of theories. Um, or if for whatever reason, and I'm sure this this could have several different ones. I think it mostly happens in comics. If I get really excited about the story. I think that's another thing will will kind of like propel me into thinking about stuff. But the same thing, if I'm just reading a book, I think I just just take the ride most of the time, you know? I feel less stupid now. Thank you for that. You're not stupid in any way. No. There's a range of stupid. Stupid is a spectrum. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. (laughs) That's what I'm saying. State of mind. Yeah. It's exactly what you said. I just made it a popular slogan. Yeah, and it, it nobody is zero. Nobody is a hundred. Most people are thirty. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're just gonna assign metric values to yeah. it now. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it may fluctuate depending on your stage of life. Yeah. Okay, but if you put a Fahrenheit and a Celsius version of this, then yes, some people are zero because the zero point changes based on Fahrenheit and Celsius. They okay, have a different scale so, in Canada. Yeah. Uh, hold on. I gotta I gotta take the listeners back to Ichiban Khan here because Alex made fun of me for being the talent. I wish you could have seen her in the dressing room when she was throwing bottles the of water. The green room, Tam. The green room. She was throwing bottles of water at the help because she would crack one open and taste it and say, I told you I wanted water in metric and this is dripping with Fahrenheit. And then she threw it, and she was just raging at every bottle for having a Fahrenheit temperature. But if you think I was the real problem, let's go back to Casey, who gave a man an asthma attack. (laughs) Hold on. Okay. The water thing was a goof, because somebody asked Alex what temperature she wanted her water, and it absolutely stopped her. She had no answer, so we started making answers for her. And since we wanted to project her as a diva, that's where that came from. The Casey giving a guy an asthma attack, that happened. Genuinely she, happened. She, just, she made that man laugh himself into Nina an inhaler. Because, and she was crushing us all weekend with stuff. She was. She as, was. As she always does. But yeah, that's not made up. That happened. And I had no idea it happened until like days afterwards. <laughs> so I can't even find that man and apologize <laughs> I fully watched him reach under the desk, desperately searching for his pencil case that he then like ripped open and pulled the inhaler out of. And then he just kept like two of us were staring at him while he was doing the inhaler thing. So he just went like the, like sucked it in. And then he just looked at us and just nodded sagely. Like, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I love that man so much. He's fantastic. He has to be our friend. Yeah. He must. <laughs> You know what's not fun? War. What's that? War. Huh. And um, children running free with no adult supervision or consequences for their action. I don't like it. It should stop. I think in every form of media that never ends well. 
All right. Ready? Yeah. Yes. Okay. Best of luck to me who wrote half these notes a week ago and half tonight. Let's rage. Sam, Quinn, Astridge, li- Astridge. Gee, way to fucking fall on the Ostrich. first goddamn Wait, step. Is Astridge, is that Astridge. like an Amu? It's an umlaut? Uh, an, an Amu? I think Astridge is an what Astridge. happens when you go out really confidently on the ice, but there is like one little divot that the Zamboni didn't get, and you just... Pff. If I had to compare this to a different experience in my life, that would be it. Oh, no. Oh, look, it's an Astridge. <laughs> it's an Astridge. <laughs> Astrid and little Pete had to walk 10 miles to get away from the power plant, and little Pete was playing on his game the whole time as if this was just like a very normal thing to have happening. After their exhausting night and the end of their hike, Sam is soaked through with sweat and he's gross, but he passes out anyways, waking up when the sun is in his eyes. And then he's like, kind of just gross. Like, it was gross. This whole thing was gross. I hated this. This would be like, if you didn't like camping, this would be why. I get it. You go to bed soaked in sweat. You wake up cold, covered in frost. Nightmare. Anyways, uh, when they get up, there's a sort of like slow amble of kids, like very zombie-like is how I read it, ambling towards the church in town. Anyways, they join the crowd, and there's no... clear goal that's manifesting so he's like hey what's going on and the other kids are like i don't know everybody's just walking this way so we are too and this crowd gathers around the church when before them a motorcade materializes there's black cars expensive bmws and the like rolling up and this third car has like the top down like it's mm, we're not gonna go there top down and uh there are several kids that are wearing like black slacks and white shirts and black skirt i saw tim i saw it happen on Tim's i want face. you to go there though no I- nope poor jackie anyways yeah, I was about to say, it's only been 60 years it's, it's too soon been 60 years it's yeah. way too soon um Anyways, they're, they're, they're in uniforms. And uh, one of them has brown hair and brown eyes and seems to draw the attention of the crowd. These are the kids from Coates Academy. Kane introduces himself and he's like, who's the leading this group? And Howard, of course, is like, orc is. Howard is a weasel now in my mind, a full weasel, just like, like little snivelly thing. Yeah, he's like, orc is, Captain Orc, my bad. And uh, Bouncing Bet is the one who steps up and is like, Sam's our leader. And then one kid breaks ranks and he's like, I just want my mom. And Kane does this super like kissing babies thing where he holds him. He's like, you just be mommy's big, strong boy now. Mommy loves you. And the crowd is like, yeah, our man. That was so creepy. So creepy. Kane then transitions smoothly into talking about how they're going to like run the town. So like, you know, when the barrier comes down and the adults come back, they're going to find this place in order. No big deal. And he's like, the leaders, follow me into the church. Let's speak under, let's speak words under the Lord's will. What the fuck, dude? You're 12 or something. He's 15, 14. He's 14. So anyways, they go into the church to speak their words under God's will or whatever the fuck they're going to do. And, uh... Da, da, da. Kane takes up this stance on the steps at the front and the rest of the kids kind of take up spots around him but it's very clear that Kane is taking control of this situation based on where he's standing Astrid does this whole ritual bowing and signing thing on the way in so now we know that about her Kane begins to speak about working together and how they have Computer Jack who's going to bring the cell phones back online and restore some of their former life and uh, one of his lackeys, Diana is watching Sam the whole time, so we know she's sleazy as fuck. Sam watches these micro-expressions on Kane's face and watches them change, so he knows that Kane 
creepy as fuck. And then Captain Orc's like, I don't want to be under anyone's control because I'm a big bad man. And in then they're like, but you won't have to do paperwork if you let other people run things. He's like, I want to be under some control because I don't like reading. It's Mary that ends up causing the biggest stir because she's like, listen, I don't give a fuck who's in control. I have to take care of 30 children. 30 goddamn children. And Kane is like, the children are our most precious, precious resource. Everybody, let's go get things for Mary. And everyone who's not here pukes. Everyone reading this book pukes into their hands. So Orc's team gets assigned to help under Drake. And they're like, we don't want to follow some guy. And there's this fight that's about to break out when the giant cross lets go and falls. And Sam kind of notices that there's this rage that passes over Kane's face. And then the thing slams down, hitting Cookie in the shoulder, tearing a gash down his chest. And Cookie is bleeding and crying with a mangled limb. And Kane is trying to call on Sam, like, come on, Sam, be the nurse. Your mom's the nurse. And Sam's like, I don't know shit about nursing. And then somebody else with minimal training steps up. And they all just ignore what happened to Cookie and continue with their days. That's the first chapter. Wow. I do. Like, it, it is very noticeable. It's noticeable early in this book. Several of the characters don't act or speak their age. They act or speak a, a good amount of years beyond their age to me. Six of Crows syndrome. I, I wondered if that was an intentional thing. Or is that just just the way the story shook out, you know? That's a great question. Because part of it, like, I do keep thinking that these kids are, like, 16, 17. And I have to keep reminding myself mm-hmm. that they're all 14 and under. Yeah, yeah. And even there are times, some of the things that they say that 16, 17 would sound like it would be a bit of a reach. Um, and then some of the the the, the goals or thoughts... Of some of THOT of some of these kids. It's like it doesn't it doesn't line up with fourteen or fifteen year olds even in this unique situation. Yeah. I gotta I gotta feel like that was that was an on purpose thing though. What do you think the motivation behind the on purposeness of that would be? I don't know. Maybe to to show that there was something unique about the area, maybe? Um maybe kids in this area didn't grow up the same i don't know you know yeah there's there's like i i'm not even sure at all that that is a thing but it's just a feeling you get when you read it and so um i don't know i don't know but i like i see what you're saying like it's uh they definitely don't sound like 14 year olds and i did also picture Mm -hmm. them to be older right Right. but they were like like, explicitly 14 because of reasons but Mm -hmm. This happened to me in Six of Crows, too, where it's like they all talk like they're in their early 30s, even though there's like 16, 17. Mm -hmm. So like, and I always thought that that was because Lee Bardugo wanted to write an adult novel with like adult characters, but they made her knock it down to YA because YA is just like a bigger like marketing audience. So I don't know. I have it in my head that people of the past were older at a much younger age. Mm. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like little eight-year-old kids were probably about as mature as me. Actually, that's probably not fair to the eight-year-old <laughs> kids. But uh, yeah, like I just have it in my mind that everybody... So I always like apply it to anything in the past that if they're 
if they're 15, they were 25 and they in the current school days. at age 12 and go <laughs> yeah. work in the factory. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know where we picked that up from. Well, I guess I shouldn't speak for everybody. I don't know where I picked that up from. The assumption that everybody was old, very young. But I mean, no no shade to Michael Grant, but like is that just adults trying to write kids and not quite nailing maybe, it? You know? Maybe. Yeah, it could be. It could be that it's a nothing. Cuz like I have that problem with Animorphs a little bit too, where it's like, yeah. at their their starting age is supposed to be, I think, like twelve or thirteen, but they talk older than yep. than that, I think. And it might just be a product of of getting the story you want. Yeah, is that you need younger people, but they need to be older at the same time. Yeah, to get the the right level of drama. Yeah, for sure. Part of our reactions is maybe that it's happening too fast. Because mm-hmm. I expect them to speak older than their age when they're put in a position of sure. control. But I expect Absolutely. them to grow to it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and maybe that, that goes back to the historical people are older than me. Is because they were put in positions much younger than I was or am. Yeah. yeah. Like when you have to start working when you're 12. I didn't do that. I will say, though, Astrid speaks like someone her age and yes. i hate her for it yes she's so fucking annoying to me <laughs> it's like let me let me narrate what's going on yes. you know let me delete any subtext you may have and tell you explicitly what's going on and i'm like shut the fuck up you idiot <laughs> but but a very intelligent person but somehow without those social yeah you know Yes. 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 I like I was a fucking know-it-all asshole at that age. Like I was, you know, I you know, every time I learned something, I made sure everybody knew how smart and great I was. Like it, <laughs> that is so believable to me, but I hate reading it. <laughs> anyway, sorry. That's another thing like the the characters that most show off the traits that we don't like about ourselves are our past selves or the ones that we just immediately like I hate you. <laughs> you are a mirror to my past self, and I, I hate left it. you in the past. Yeah. <laughs> in the past, you motherfucker. So this is how everyone around me felt. <laughs> I'm trying to go to sleep, not remember terrible, cringy things I did in high school. Uh, Alex still kind of does this, though, right? Uh, yeah, literally like an hour ago, Alex, when you out misogynisted me. Oh, that was so good. It was really good. What happened? Like I lawyered Tim. Yeah, she, mm, she she baited me into an argument and well, then I didn't. Me. I wasn't baiting you. I was just oh, I, I was weaving like my my <laughs> woeful <web>. trail. <laughs> I, at one point, I debated giving up because I was like, "Man, I'm so tired. I have so much to do." And then I was like, "But I have such a good idea to just really <laughs> fuck with him." Okay, so Tim and I were talking like an hour before we got on this call, and. How did this even start? Oh, Tim tried to to make me a misogynist because he offered to do a very kind thing for me. And I said, no, no, it's okay. That's not necessary. And he said, stop stifling women's voices or something <laughs> similar. And then he said, that's the argument I came up with to stifle you. And I said, I just think men are so much funnier and smarter than women. And then Tim said something like, he was immediately like, there's nothing yeah, that a like, woman can't do as well right. as or better than a man. I said, and that includes being a misogynist, of which I will be the best one henceforth. I told her, I'm like, I'm going to get kicked out of the club now. Like, I just got defeated <laughs> in a misogynist off. And then, like, I'm, 
I told her, I'm like, I'm not going to be able to run for office. Oh I'm not going to be able to own a boat. Like, all the things that come with all the, the, the male <laughs> privilege, I lost it. I'm out of the club now. As soon as she said that, I was like, I've never been defeated so hard as when she said that. <laughs> Including being a misogynist. And I'm, oh no, what have I done? That's right. I'm going to move the women's movement forward years by becoming the <laughs> biggest misogynist in the world. <laughs> Holy shit. These are the conversations that we have through text message. Which started with like a really nice, like, <laughs> can I do this thing for you? And I'm like, no, because I'm a misogynist. That's why. <laughs> Oh my god. <sighs> Another chapter? Yeah. Alright! Uh, 251 hours and 32 minutes. Computer Jack realizes too late he was supposed to follow Kane out of the church in some show of solidarity and power. So he like jumped up and did that thing where you like kick the thing in front of you and everybody looks over and you're like, fuck, everyone's looking at me. Uh, and then he rushes out and he runs into Astridge. A- again. Wow. Again. Wow. Again. I should get water or something. What's happening? I think maybe you're mad at Astrid too. Maybe I'm just, maybe I want her to be an ostrich. Maybe that's maybe. her power. It might, Tim. Did I guess her power? Is she a giant I, bird? I, I don't think so. She likes I birds. I don't think so. Well, yeah, she does. I think she's a bird. If Astridge is a bird, are you a bird? Astrich is a bird. I'm a I'm an ostrich. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> Astrid with a D is there, and uh, she's like, "Are you the one they call Computer Jack?" And he remembers Drake's warning to keep it brief. Do not engage the enemy, and he heeds that warning because Drake is a dickwad. <laughs> That's basically it. Yeah. Uh, then Astrid's like, hey, are you really going to get those cell phones working and all that shit? And Jack's like, absolutely, I will. I'm a badass with a computer. Uh, and then he goes, I don't think I can explain to you, though, how it's going to happen. And she's like, try me. And they have like a nerd off. They both push up their glasses and go super <laughs> sane on each other. Um, and then he explains it to her and she's like, yeah, got it. Easy. And he's like, oh, shit. So after this tech interrogation concludes, she's like, so what about Drake and Kane? They bullies or like what? And Sam's like trying to dodge this question, but he's not really socially adept. So like she just listens to his silence on the matter and she's like, ah, got it. They're terrible. And then she's like, hey, do the other kids treat you poorly because you're smart? And he's like, got me again. So she's in the middle of asking him all these questions and more about Kane and the Coates kids when Diana materializes and swoops in to interrupt. She tries taking Astrid's hand and Astrid's like, ooh, don't touch my hand. It's true. That's what happens. And then there's a noise. It's Adelia with the backhoe. He's going to go dig a grave for the little girl. And Diana's like, who does that? Who said he could do that? And Astrid's like, no one. But like, he's digging a grave for a little girl. Like, what's your fucking problem with this, Diana? And Diana starts trying to be like, hey, I'm a badass. And you have to listen to everything I say. And uh, Astrid's like, okay, I don't think so. I think you're just kind of a loser from Coates Academy. Anyways, uh, Diana gets done with this weird show-off thing with Astrid, and she's like, Jack, come. And then he, like, follows her like a little dog and then gets embarrassed by his obedience to her. They go to the mayor's office where Kane has taken up shop, and Jack listens as she briefs Kane but leaves out key parts of the story. Like, Jack wasn't lost. He was talking to Astrid. She said he was lost. Then she's like, I only got a partial read on Astrid. Two bars of power, but no idea what it is. And then, you know, nothing on Sam. And Jack's like, she fully held Sam's hand for 86 years. She knows. 
And then Jack takes this moment to contemplate what, what all that means and what the hell. And what does it mean for a world in which they've encountered a four-bar maximum and that power was Kane and Astrid's only a two, even though she's, you know, smart and they don't know her powers are. Anyways, across town, Lana's walking and walking through the hot gulch and she was healed, but that didn't mean she was going to survive much longer the way that they were going. Even Patrick was no longer bounding, but plodding along. The ranch was to the left, but so was the steep, steep climb that she couldn't get up. So she just kept following this gulch, hoping it ended soon so she could leave. And then she came across it, the milky white barrier cutting her off from the rest of the world. She couldn't go back the way she came. She couldn't make it up the cliff. So she's like, okay, I'm going to go up the tinier cliff and go to the right, which is further away from the ranch. So she gets up there and she stumbles under this new sensation, springy grass. They had made it to a farmhouse of some sort and there was a well. She runs, well, sort of, she stumbles over there, turns the handle, and starts drinking the warm, mineral, gross water, and then just letting it run over her face to loosen up all the dried blood. And her spirits and Patrick's were mildly restored. Well, well, well. Wow, wow, wow. A lot happens in these chapters, and then the longer we go, the more it's just action sequences. And these do get shorter, I promise. <laughs> Lana's having a tough day. Tough life, honestly. Yeah, yeah. I think she's still my favorite. When you say favorite, yeah, does that mean the person you most like reading, I, or the person you want to like win? I think it's the person I most like reading, and yeah. I kind of, as much as like it's very fun to read like the man versus man kind of thing. I love the man versus nature story that she is living, like which is yeah. clearly in parallel with everyone else, and yet so other from everything else that we're reading, like. Everybody else is like, you're like, ooh, those groceries are going to run out. Ooh, they're coming up with plants with this. Ooh, there's like a whole power struggle going on. And with her, she's like, I've been stumbling through the desert for 14 days with no water and only my dog. And there's, I don't know. I just, I love that story within the story. Mm -hmm. I think it's the same reason that I, I like the uh, other kid whose name I forget, but I'll read it later. Uh, Al Albert? Albert. Yeah, Albert. McDonald's. McDonald's yeah. boy. I think that's why I love him too, because he's not living like he's yeah, in yeah. the world. He's right there. He interacts with these characters, but then he goes back and he's living his own like businessman world where yeah. it's like, I'm opening yeah. a business in the apocalypse. And I love that for him. <laughs> yeah. Mine, I think is a little different. Um, right now, my favorite, if we're talking about the ones that I like to read the most are definitely Kane and Drake. Um, and, like, it's not because I like them. And it's not because I want them to be successful. But for whatever reason, they're the most interesting to me. Drake is terrible. Terrible. So I don't know what that says about me. But, like, I enjoy the story. I enjoy all the characters. Something about Kane and Drake right now. This deep into the book. And I'm like, I gotta know more. I don't... There is something very interesting... Not to spoiler what we're gonna end up talking about by the end of this recap podcast but uh there's something super interesting i think in the kane and drake story and for me it's it's kane specifically like drake is interesting in being a sociopath and everything but but mm -hmm. kane is really interesting to me in the fact that he is the most powerful in the most vulnerable position and that's hard to achieve like to be that way and to also know that like your time is so limited and that you have Zero time to figure something out. Yes. Very true. Anyways, you guys want to talk more about this book? Yes. 171 hours, 12 minutes. 
Sam is at the fire station as the official emergency guy. TMT and Willy Wonka moment. Is this a countdown to when? Until he disappears, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I'm pretty sure, okay. yeah. Okay. That's all. Hold on. They said it's like 250 hours. 171 hours and 12 minutes. Okay, and that is how many days? Oh my god, let's Google it. I can't do the math. This is math. That's about seven oh. days? I I just... No. I was not intending to dig into this. I was just going to no, guess and it. accept it as fact. We're doing it. <sighs> okay. So that implies that the crux of this... Part, the climax, the crux of this novel, Gone, the first book in the Gone series, is going to be how they stop people over 15 from disappearing. That does feel like the implication. Yeah. It is seven oh. days and like 25 seven minutes. Days. I knew it. I knew it. I knew Listen. it. And I just, I had you finish the math because you said, nah. I didn't say right, nah. I, I said, did. I don't even know. Let's Google it. You said, nah. Just We're like never. that. We're never. <laughs> would never say such a thing. <laughs> How dare you? <laughs> okay, so you, that's what you think is the end of the first Yes, book. that's yeah. as soon as I saw the countdown, I was like, that's until his birthday. As soon as the birthday was presented. Yeah. Chekhov's birthday, as it were. Chekhov's <laughs> How old is old Chekhov what now? What is Chekhov's birthday? <laughs> yeah, yeah, hold on, she's gonna, this is going on the Google calendar, Chekhov's birthday. <gasps> January then, 29th, it's coming up. Oh, Chekhov's birthday is January calendar. I can't it. wait for this joke to pay off. <laughs> 29. I am, I am 100% sure this episode is coming out long after Chekhov's gun's birthday. <laughs> Chekhov's gun's birthday. Chekhov's birthday. Now it's the gun that has now the birthday. it's the gun's birthday. <laughs> Have birthday gun. All day. <laughs> Check that off the list. No. I can't wait, because only the three of us know that somebody else is going to see that on the calendar and be like, when when did that? How is that? And that's our Chekhov's <laughs> birthday gun. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Somebody's going to be like, is this the third act? <laughs> that's a scary thought. Is this the third act? <laughs> wait, hold on. Hold on. It was Chekhov's birthday when we started. Yes. Then it was Chekhov's gun's birthday. Now it's Chekhov's birthday's gun. Yes. <laughs> so now the birthday has a gun. The birthday is sentient and it has a gun. <laughs> I have terrible news. Oh, I hope this is the right Chekhov. <laughs> it's the like guy from Star Trek. <laughs> His birthday is January 29th, 2540. Oh. It is that's the a right good one. Check the year. That'll help. <laughs> Check the year. Check off the year. Check the guns year. <laughs> That's how I'm going to celebrate n- next New Year's Eve. I'm going to be like, everybody, it's Chekhov's year. And then I'm going to be like, a gun. <laughs> and that will complete the ritual. <laughs> we will have summoned, I don't know, Check something. <laughs> Check the grape. You have to turn around and look at a mirror and hold your thumb up and say Chekhov's gun three times. <laughs> that was a lot of mileage from that question. <laughs> Didn't mean to, I'm sorry. I love it. I love it. I can't wait until that calendar event comes back. <laughs> I can't wait until somebody asks us about it. It's going to complete it for me. Oh my god.
Except we're not going to remember. No. Oh, oh I'm going to oh. remember. And as soon as somebody says, why is Chekhov's birthday <laughs> mentioned in the or uh, on the calendar? And I'm just going to be like, mentioned it in the first act. <laughs> like, that's all I'm going to say. Fuck. It's mentioned in the first act. There is nothing funnier to me than when we set up a goof like this that pays off later and the people that are going through it know that we all know and we think it's hilarious and they're just trying to put together the puzzle pieces to figure <laughs> out like especially emily who like will immediately announce like i understand all the words but like this means nothing to me <laughs> it's gonna be great all right you want you want some summary yep you want some summary okay yep. it talks about the emergency guy right at the fire station yeah they're trying to make pasta. They're very bad at it, but they're doing their best. They're children. They're children. They've been practicing with the trucks and the ambulances, but they really just did the fire pole, and they're, they've mastered the fire pole. They are so good at fire pole, and I commend them for that. That's the hardest thing to do there. Uh, while they're discussing making pasta and bread and so on, they are interrupted by this wailing cry. They immediately spring into action to find someone crawling into the station with blood running down their head. It's Bouncing Bet. And they're like, what happened? But all they get is like a, they're after me. And then Ork and Howard and some no-gooders show up with baseball bats. And they're like, we're very much in the right here. Bet was practicing magic and breaking the rules. And Sam's like, hold up, what? And Ork places the baseball bat on Sam's shoulder and starts lining up his head like he's just going to like swing and smack him. And then he just fucking does. And Sam ducks. And Adelio then leaps out, knocks Ork to the ground, and there's this scuffle. And then Drake's voice cuts through it all with, what's all this then? I don't know why. I literally wrote that. I don't know why I gave him that accent. But here we are. Then he's like, everybody freeze. And Orc doesn't listen. So Drake hops down, grabs the bat off of one of Orc's goons, proceeds to swiftly and efficiently disable Orc by hitting him in exactly the right pressure points, like some sort of ancient aluminum bat master. And then Drake's like, so what's going on here? And they're like, Bet was doing magic, which is against the rules, so we took action. And Drake's like, hmm, those are the rules. I guess it was appropriate for you to smash a young girl's head in. And Sam's like, there's no fucking rules against magic tricks. And Drake's like, yeah, there is. And hands him this crumpled copy of like fucking lined notebook paper torn out of a book. And they're like, well, can't do anything. Someone wrote it down in a notebook. I guess we're bound by this fucking law. Either way, the, the scuffle's over. People disperse. And uh, once Drake and Orc and all those goons are gone, they're like, let's get Bet checked out. And she's like, no, I'm okay. I'm okay. I just have to get home to my brother. So Sam escorts her on the way. Quinn, on the other hand, is just like, why is Sam mad at me? Why doesn't Sam love me so much? Blah, blah, blah. has his own, like, fucking thing going on. Then, the worst part, pasta got overcooked while everybody was out here fighting, so they just have to eat Cheerios again. Uh, and then Sam comes back, and they go over these rules that basically boil down to Kane and Drake have ultimate power over anything. So it's like, here's rules one, two, three, four, and 5, but rule 6 is Kane and Drake can do whatever the fuck they want if none of the five rules cover it, which I'm sure they will argue in any situation. So anyways, they're like, they probably want to be the biggest fish in the pond so they could quash out any competition for leadership roles. And Adelio's like, this isn't going to go well. I'm used to being treated as a second-class citizen. Turn, turn to Quinn, look him directly in the eye. But others are not, and this will end poorly. What they really want with these rules is a scapegoat. That's that chapter. Why is there a racist douchebag in every single fucking Michael Grant book? I was about to say, it, it, the Christopher vibes are strong. Right. The Christopher Luther gear. 
Yeah. Yes. Ugh. Yeah. It's like a trope at this point. Like, here's a shitty character that will go through a redemption arc, and their main shitty trait is that they're really racist. <laughs> I think it's just a really nice shorthand for, like, this guy sucks. Like, yeah. a lot of times you're like, listen, let me convince you how, like, their morals are not, like, really aligned and they don't, like, really think through their actions and they're not a great person because of multiple choices or things that have happened to them that made them act this way. Instead, it's like, and that guy's racist. And everybody's like, well, fuck that guy. Well, but it like- goes right back to what you did, Casey, a minute ago when you were presented with a lineup of 12 serial killers. And you were like, oh, they all that suck. That's That one's a that Nazi. That one sucks the most. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, Quinn already sucks because he's not, he just he just sucks already. And he continues <laughs> to suck without yeah. wailing on a dealio. It's yeah. Like, I, it's like, he didn't need this. I, I feel like I, I needed it less for Quinn and more to just understand how good good of a person Adelio was. Or at least how good of a person I suspect Adelio is having known him from five pages in the book. Because, <laughs> like, he seems like a really, like, chill guy that, like, wants to do the right thing, that is trying to, like, do right by people and, you know, dig graves and take care of everybody. And even when people are, like, being shitty to him, he's even keel enough that he's, like, for the most yeah. part, this is just gonna, like, I'm just not going to pay attention to it. So, like, yeah. I hope he continues on that path. I think he's a character that I think is really cool, and I like him for now. Agreed. Mm-hmm. If only he was on a journey with his dog to fight the land. <laughs> then he would be favorite character. Then he would be favorite <laughs> character. <sighs> yeah, I, I get what you're saying about how it's the the sort of easiest way to get a character disliked. But, yeah... It still doesn't make it anymore. I still hate it. You know? Yeah, that's fair. Like, there's so many opportunities and ways to suck. God, there's so many. There's so many. I can come up with so many. But, uh, Mm -hmm. like, here's the other thing. How many of them can we write in a children's book that gives enough context into how shitty they are as a person without having the life experience of being screwed over by these people multiple times? Seven. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And how many characters do we have that are shitty? Ooh, probably more than seven. I think a few more than seven. I think yeah, mathematically yeah, we have to have one <laughs> racist asshole. Um, that does bring up a good question. So I get I get frustrated a lot sometimes because, like, we've had this discussion before about how I think the best stories are the ones that are hard to fit into certain mm-hmm. genres, and I get sort of frustrated when when people over label things at least in my opinion um is this is this a YA book is this a a, a, a grown ass people book like I don't know I so, it was a book that I enjoyed so I don't know I don't know how, what the what the rules are for qualifying I think this causes a crisis in me a lot because like the YA book concepts, especially like this sort of book, all of the concepts are so mature. And like a lot of the questions and like going back to Animorphs and everything too, there's so many questions that are hard for people of our age and experience to parse out nowadays. Mm-hmm. So are the things that we sometimes find problem with when we're like, wow, that's really oversimplified. Is it a problem 
with the book or is it because that's a sort of audience thing, right? Like at some point we have to give those on ramps to why it, cause I think like if you look at the marketing for this book, you look at what it's labeled under, it's labeled as a YA book. Okay. So I think we have to give those on ramps to help teach what it is. Like, I don't think it's an inherent issue in the book. I think it's a feature, not a bug. And we just label it as such because we have the the depth of experience to say like, I've seen this too much or I don't like it because of X, Y, Z, but it's an, I don't like it. Not a, this is a problem. Sure. Yeah. And I was thinking about this the other day where it's like, I was reading YA books for a while, specifically like from the perspective of people who have a very different experience from me, whether they're like a different like race or if they're an immigrant or if they're like a different shade of queer than me. Um, and I was getting so frustrated with a lot of the books because like the way that they would um, like write, it would be very, it, sometimes it felt like I was reading like a pamphlet to be like, your mm -hmm. identity is mm -hmm. valid and no one should make you feel like blah, blah, blah. And I would get so frustrated because it's like, well, find a way to tell me that without like beating me over the head with it. Mm -hmm. But then I'm like, okay, but like these are for people who like, you know, grow up with these kind of like, you know, stigmas against them. And they're written by people who grew up with these stigmas who would have greatly benefited from having those messages when they were kids. So it's like, that's when I kind of realized it's like, okay, I'm just not the audience for this book. Right, and that's fine. Right. Yeah. <laughs> that's my spiel. I can think of a couple book series that I've read where it's like, I've enjoyed this. It was not, well, I'm not going to say it wasn't for me because that makes it sound like I didn't enjoy it. It was, I was not the person they had in mind as the consumer of this book, but I still thought it was good. I'm sure when they sit down to, like, when Michael Grant sat down to write Gone, he wasn't thinking, I can't wait until these fucking 30 and 40-year-old weirdos <laughs> that just really like Animorphs are on a podcast talking about this. I do like I get the necessity of of like we have to have little boxes and we have to put the books in the boxes so that the the people can easier easily find the book that they want or like I get it but I, I like me as a person like Tim Tim gets real frustrated by that because I'm like I don't want stories that like neatly fit in and I don't feel like this story does I don't no. feel like it neatly mm -hmm. fits into any kind of mold but I don't want that yeah you know and yeah, I don't it. want I don't want to the worst is when I disagree with it all like wholeheartedly you know that's not what that story is or that's not what that movie is yeah marketing can be like it's necessary but it can be very frustrating because it can like it's like it's like buzzwords kind of which are like they have been pretty popular lately where it's like i'm gonna list out all of the different tropes that this book covers like one bed or friends to enemies or friends to lovers <laughs> blah 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 so like i don't i don't know what my original point was but like i know <laughs> i don't even know how we got here <laughs> hold on one big bed is a uh yeah, when two characters have to share one bed for whatever reason, like oh, oh okay. they got a hotel okay. room that was supposed to have two beds, but it only has uh, one. Okay. Oh no, what's gonna happen? Sexual tension, blah blah blah. So, do they all yell out one big bed? One big bed, and then they jump <laughs> in the bed. 
think most of the time they're upset about it is what happens. They're upset, but then they're also aroused. (laughs) (laughs) And they both have to share the bed because reasons. Yep. Very thinly veiled reasons. Oh, my God. I'm so excited. I have a share one bed scene in Beside You. Um, there, There are... 17 ways that they don't have share a bed but they find every excuse to share a bed (laughs) so because i'm like these are horny idiots so uh that's really the beauty of that trope though is that it's like you've built you've constructed your bridge on a like crepe paper like you you have nothing you have nothing supporting this and i love that for you yep also, I think the one big bed chant is I first heard it on not a, not another D and D podcast, and that's where I adopted it from. But I love it, love it. So I much. I stole it from Alex. Oh, I stole I it from not another D and D podcast. Because yeah. <laughs> every time the party would get to like a town and like have to like go to an inn, they'd be like, "Oh, you have like." five travelers and they'd be like yeah but we want one big bed one big bed (laughs) i loved it so much anyways that's my there you go 169 hours nice that's how i started it (laughs) so i'm an adult Daro was working as the de facto nurse in the church basement where Cookie was screaming for more pain pills for his mangled shoulder and Daro's running out and just pouring over this textbook. What? A weak ass bitch. Yeah, I was about to say, like, you're making his shoulders, like, removed from his body. Weak ass bitch. (laughs) Alex is like, rub some dirt on it and walk it off. (laughs) Put some Windex on it. I haven't thought about my big fat Greek wedding in 100 years. (laughs) Anyways, yeah. Weak ass bitch. So Dara was pouring over this textbook trying to figure out what mixtures of pain pills would help and not finding much. And then she's like, man, I wish I had Google. Her boyfriend is snoring softly nearby. And she's like, I guess he helped me with lifting Cookie and moving him. But like every time it comes time to empty out the bedpan, no help at all. And that's when the door opens and Mary steps in. I'm assuming with a lightning bolt crashing behind her and pouring rain. It doesn't say that. I just assume that's what happens. And she's like, I have this small child who's complaining of stomach pains. Mary and Dara hug because this whole phase thing brought them closer together. And uh, she starts to check out this kid. The kid's name's Heather. And Cookie is screaming in the background about his shoulder because he's a weak-ass bitch. And she's, like, feeling around and taking the temperature of this child and is like, I think I have a diagnosis. This child needs to poop. And Mary's like, ah, wise. So she collects the child to go to the bathroom and then the door opens again with a crash of lightning and rain coming. Again, I just feel like that's how it should be. Bouncing Bet stumbles in, the side of her face and her arm drooping, and she was looking all rough. They laid her down, and she's, like, slurring her words horribly, but they can kind of determine what she's saying, which is, like, just please take care of my brother. And then her face goes completely slack, and she passes away. And with her death, they call Adelio, and they're like, hey, we got to dig another hole. We then cut to the to the funeral where Astrid, Sam, and their crew were holding this small ceremony, and Astrid says a prayer. <laughs> I'm sorry, Casey. Uh, Astrid says this prayer that even little Petey starts picking up on. Sam's the only one that doesn't participate in the prayer part of the evening. When they're done, they notice that Orc and Howard are slinking away, and Astrid's like, I'm ready for justice. And Sam's like, okay, but who's going to hold them accountable? Kane? And then she's like, Sam. 
Sam's going to hold them accountable. And Sam's like, I'm pretty sure that put in charge, I would be no better than anyone else. And then they do the power corrupts, absolute power corrupts, absolutely. He's like, I'd be the exact same as Kane or Orc. And Astrid's like, I refuse to believe that. After all, you have me. And on this romantic declaration, they both lean in and right as they're about to kiss, Sam's like, I can't do this with your little brother watching. So she just turns him around and then they kiss. Funeral. I I have to assume that that entire chapter was narrated by Austin. It felt like it, didn't it? Uh, yeah, just there was constant lightning crashes the entire time. Mm-hmm. Every time the door opens, lightning crashes. This is another one. The, the bet thing... Like, we are ramped up way further than we need to be, mm-hmm. considering it's just been a few days. You know what I'm saying? Like, And, like, Sam was just walking Bet home, and then she, like, I don't know what happens where you go from, like, I'm okay, I can walk a mile to get to my house to see my brother, and I have a TBI so bad, I'm gonna die. I, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, that internal bleeding is a is a tough thing. You're like, oh, I'm good. Like, no, you're bleeding on the inside, and it. I don't can't think see you it. don't feel it. I don't know. I mean, every time I've experienced somebody bleeding internally, they're in a lot of pain. I'm really glad that you didn't say every time I've experienced a TBI. No, I had those. I don't think I've had internal bleeding or brain hemorrhaging from those. I feel like that would have been more evident. Maybe maybe this is it. Maybe none of you are real. Maybe this is I, my well, TBI. Oh. <laughs> I just with the amount of horse mm. stuff that you've been through. I don't know like I've never experienced that. I've never been around anybody who's gone through uh such things that involved internal bleeding or 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 brain injuries or whatnot like i don't know i don't know how you react to it i imagine there's a there's a range of reactions same as there is with anything else like i would think but yeah i don't know yeah i i've i've been around it a few times um probably more sort of concussions head injury kind of stuff than internal bleeding Mm -hmm. but every time i've been around somebody that has had internal bleeding they can't like pinpoint it for you, but they're like, I am in so much pain right now. And like really? my stomach or, or, or whatever. And it'll be like, you know, something else in that area is bleeding, but they'll be like, my stomach hurts so bad. It's so painful, like in tears crying, like, you know, everything oh, no. fucking hurts. So like, that's what I imagine internal. And like, maybe it's different when it's, when it's in your head, but like, I know one of the symptoms of it is like severe headache, like severe, like it's like everything yeah. hurts. I mean, that makes sense because it doesn't take a lot of pressure change for me to, you know, my head feels it. So I imagine if something was going on inside like like that, it seems like you'd, you'd know it. But I always hate to go on this podcast and say something that makes it sound like I know what I'm talking about. Because trust me when I tell you that I am the farthest from knowing anything about anything. So. As if we don't do that. Every single episode. Yeah, every episode. Various (laughs) fields of study. Michael Collins high-fived the moon. Super dead. That was one of the the great, like, just all-time great moments in podcast journalism. 
was the Michael Collins high five the moon bit. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it was 100% accurate to science yes. and what happened. <laughs> Should have won the Pulitzer. The Pulitzer? The Pulitzer. Animorphs. <laughs> That's what I thought when you said Pulitzer. I, yeah. It's every time now I do that, like I question something, I in my head I'm just going, Animorphs? <laughs> <laughs> That's so hopeful. You guys want more? Yes. What oh, is good shit? The first of several horrors in this section yeah yeah it doesn't get better no i'm so sorry 164 hours and 32 minutes albert left the funeral and walked back to his mcdonald's that's right his mcdonald's uh he had removed his mcdonald's hat to pay respects to bed uh and then he's like i'd like to talk to somebody but i don't think that's gonna happen unless i turn on all the lights and start cooking and so he just turns around like maybe someone's behind me no no everybody had left so anyways, his thoughts were eating away at him and he started thinking about how like you have to do work. Like you can't just live forever doing nothing like all these kids are doing. Like you have to work because if you don't have a purpose, then why even live? And he's like, I can't put these thoughts into like a coherent statement. So I'm going to go to the library and just like figure out what other people have said and then say it that way. So he heads to the library. He is shocked to find it completely untouched. Nobody has ransacked the library. So he begins to like go to the encyclopedias, work through the encyclopedias, and then finds old men books with opinions of old white men. And then he falls asleep on the books. And when he wakes up, he's like, something's watching me. And he sees this pair of green eyes belonging to an orange cat with a little collar. And he starts calling the kitty like, here, kitty, kitty. And then the thing is on him, tearing and biting and grabbing his face and clawing at him. And he tries to fight it off. And then it's gone. It's across the room. And he's like, wow, this thing moved crazy fast. This is wild. Then this thing's on his throat, clawing at him, biting and going for the jugular. And then it's gone again. And he spots it on top of a row of books. And it's staring down at him. And he instinctively raises a book up in front of him. And he feels this thunk. And when he looks, he sees this cat completely bisected through the book. And he watches as the light leaves its eyes. And like he's like, I can't I can't even believe this. He like tries taking the book apart and the thing is like between every single page. It's like cat page, cat page, cat page, all together. So he's like, I gotta take this to somebody smarter than me. So he grabs this bag that a librarian left there, puts the cat in there. He's like, I'm gonna go find Astrid. So he makes it to her house and he knocks on the door and she's super like, Ooh, God, don't wanna open the door for strangers, kind of a thing. And he's like, Check out my cat. It's <laughs> what? That's what he said. <laughs> Check out my cat. Check out my cat. Yeah, yeah. Oh, and she also, she's like, what happened to your face? He's like, fuck what happened to my face. Look at my cat. And then she's all like, hmm, that's pretty weird. Uh, all right. Uh, do you want us to put some band-aids on? And then we cut to a cross town. Lana's trying to get some sleep in the farmhouse, but every noise was amplified. And she thinks she hears this faint come out whispered on the breeze. And she shakes it off thinking like, oh, that's, I'm just hearing things. It's fine, whatever. But then she gets up because she's like, I do have to pee though. So I think I will. So she goes outside to the outhouse, does her thing. But when she steps out of there, there's a giant coyote in front of her, bigger than a wolf. And she tries to do what her grandpa said and shoo it away, but that doesn't work. And Patrick's all threatening and growling, but like it, they didn't react because Patrick is a small dog. He's not a small dog, but like, you know, he's much smaller than, larger than a wolf. So she's like standing there not knowing how to get past this coyote. And that's when two more shapes materialize out of the darkness around them. She's like, well, 
There's only one thing to do here. Scream like a maniac and run straight at the coyote who was like shocked and was like, oh, fuck. So he steps out of the way. She runs past it, runs into the house, slams the door behind her. Here's this yelp, but doesn't look. And eventually they disperse. The next day when the sun was up, Lana went outside and found a half-eaten snake attached to the dead coyote because she had flung it at the coyote as she ran past and it attached to his face. Lucky shot. We can't we can't win them all, but sometimes you get lucky. Wait, she threw a snake at the coyote? Yeah, she like as she was running past, she like kicked up some dirt or some shit and it kicked up oh. a snake. Oh, okay. It was very like, it was the minorest of details as you were reading of like, she was grappling at stuff as she ran and like, just like, like flung it past herself. That was lucky. It was super lucky. And I feel part of her power set, maybe. Don't know why. So you think her power is to shoot snakes? I think her power is to have some sort of control over bodies, right? Which manifested in uh, healing in the first part of her and the dog. So I feel like maybe her power set can also like kind of extend a little bit like in the environment to have a control over like nearby bodies or like have like some sort of like little bit of influence over them. Huh. So perhaps like the snake was there and her distress like attracted the snake and she was able to just grab it and fling it. Huh. So you think her power is to shoot snakes? <laughs> Her name is Snakerman. <laughs> Snakerman. Snakerman. Please, I'm Snakerman, the third Snakerman. I'm is my just father. saying. <laughs> I'm just saying that's pretty badass power. Shoot snakes. <laughs> shoot snakes. Do you know if I could shoot snakes out of my wrist? Because I imagine it's very Spider-Man sense. Thing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> How often I would shoot snakes at people? <laughs> very. Every minute of every day. Tim would be walking down the hall and a snake. No, I, mm, I'd have gotten a lot of snakes for all the Kermit stuff that I got you. Every snakes. single one snake. Every single one snake. You would have gotten no snakes for the Kermit. <gasps> no is, snakes. That is worse. Yeah, you'd you would get snakes all weekend. Every time I saw you, snake. Every time we we're hanging out, I'd just be sitting next to you, snake to the face, like every single time. And then you'd give me all the Kermit stuff, and I'd just make you sit there. No snakes. <laughs> no snakes for you. No snakes for you. Can you shoot different kinds of snakes? I I assumed I could yeah, because I want to yeah. choose like venomous and non. Okay. Also, you got to be able to shoot like gravel snakes. Like when yeah, you need sure. to swing over chasms, you got to be able to shoot the snake that bites the ceiling and holds yeah. while you swing across. So there's got to be different kinds of snakes. Why wouldn't you just shoot a tree climbing snake out like a python that you could then swing on instead of one that has fangs that will break off because they can't hold you because they're hollow, Tim? Maybe because there's no trees around, Alex. And you think the fangs are going to help? Yes. They're not? Also, I think you need a boomer snake where you can shoot it out and it's like at an L shaped and you can throw it and it'll come back to you. I thought you meant like a a generation boomer. I was going to have a snake that's like, I ruined the economy, suck it, bitches. Same. (laughs) (laughs) You're never going to retire. (laughs) Stop buying avocado toast. Starting your own business is easy. Just borrow $100,000 from your father. Why don't you take your resume in person? Have we told the uh have we told the 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 listeners how much you love Kermit stuff, Alex? How much you just adore Kermit stuff? I hate Kermit stuff. No, you you love it. I you hate love it. it. You know how to fix this, Casey, if this is your episode. It's not. It's my edit. <laughs> Damn it. Next time, bud. <laughs> 
That's rough, buddy. <laughs> I'm gonna write some note. Alex saying I love Kermit stuff. That's gonna be like my phrase if like I ever get kidnapped. It's like call your friends and talk about something normal. I'll be like, hey, you guys remember the Muppets and like how we watched it and how much we loved it and how great it was. And they're gonna be like, Alex is in trouble. Oh, we gotta go. Oh no. Oh no. I'm gonna call you and I'm gonna be like, let me do it for you. That's, that's what and I'm they're just gonna, gonna do. shoot me. That's yeah. Check out my cat. <laughs> That's what he did. Check out my cat book. <laughs> cat book. Brown and cat you, think, book. you think it's a book about cats? No. According to Alex, it was fuck my face. <laughs> check out my cat. Fuck, fuck my face and check out my cat. <laughs> when you say it with a different cadence, it does change. <laughs> oh boy. Oh boy. Oh boy. <laughs> fuck my face. Look at my cat. <laughs> I hope somebody writes the next best-selling romance novel based on that premise. It's a real action economy situation right there. Right, keep recapping. Oh, sure. Do you want me to do the next chapter? No, that's what she said. She said keep recapping. Okay, uh, I'm yep. doing it. I'm do. I'm on it. Um, Kane did not punish Orc for what he did. He was like, what did you expect him to do? Bet broke the law. Orc was enforcing it. Seems good to me. And that doesn't sit right with Sam. But Sam's like, I don't know what to do. That guy's in charge. So the one thing Sam gives him is that he he's sending people out to do sweeps in the neighborhood. You know, turn off stoves, TV, electronics, you know, collect pets, children that may be trapped. As they roll up to the next house, they find the doors locked. And Quinn's the one that's like, I want to be the hammer guy. Let me be the hammer guy. So they let him be the hammer guy, and he smashes in the lock when the door swings open. A terrible, terrible smell hits them. They start calling into the house with no response, and Brooke, the Coates girl who is with them, is like, I'm not going in there. I don't want to see any... I've seen enough in the academy. I don't want to see anything more. And they're like, wait, what did you see in the academy? And she's like, don't... Sorry, don't ask me any more questions. The academy was great. I loved it. Everybody's a happy, great. It's so good. It's so good at the academy. And nobody presses her for it because... They all know the trauma that they are about to experience. It is Sam who finally goes in there and scoops up the remains of the dead baby into the bag and takes it out of there. And he's trying to convince himself it's okay. It's just like taking out the trash. Don't think about it. Just do it. Once he's done, he says, Quinn, go in there and open the windows to air it out. We can come back later and search the rest of the place. And Quinn's like, you're not the boss of me. You don't control me. And he goes as far as to get up in Sam's face. And Sam's basically like, I just scooped up parts of a dead baby. You can fuck right off and go do what I told you to fucking do. So after that kind of dies down a little bit, they go to Sam's house because it's next on the sweep list. And he's like, I've got this. I'm going to go in here. I'm taking it. So he goes into his own house and he notices as he walks in that they were not the last ones there. His mother's laptop is gone. The house is completely flipped upside down, like stuff out of the fridge, stuff out of the drawers, all that shit. And uh, the light that he had kind of hidden in his closet was exposed. And he's like, oh, shit, someone knows. He goes into his mom's room with the lockbox. And that's where she keeps her will and her certificate. And that's gone. And Sam's like, I know exactly who took this. As they travel back across town after doing all this house search and stuff, they see some little kids being escorted across the street with Mary in the lead and Emma and her twin sister at the back. 
And Sam's like, oh, I knew Emma. We went on a date before all this. And they exchange some friendly chatter as they go past. And one of the twins goes, hey, wish us a happy birthday. And he's like, happy birthday. And keeps riding, thinking about the movie date and how they saw Stardust. And they went out for pizza. And all of a sudden he's like, hang on a second. What birthday? So he turns around, tears back, catches them right as they're getting to the beach. And the little kids are like taking off their shoes and shit. And he throws it on his bike and he starts going, what birthday? It takes him a moment to understand what he's asking, but then it's what they feared. It's 15, and he's like, what time of day were you born? Neither of them know. And then Emma's sister pops out of existence, and he's like, how much longer? How much longer after her were you born? And she says, six minutes. And she starts going, am I going to be okay? Am I going to be with the adults? Is is everything going to be okay? And Sam didn't answer. Sam answered, I don't know to all the questions except, am I going to die? And he says, no, you're not going to die. And then he was there holding her hand and staring into her eyes as she popped out of existence. It's fucking rough, bud. Yeah. It's rough, buddy. All of it. Bad. Not good. Knowing that it's coming, but not knowing what it means for six minutes, I, that had to have been about a thousand years. That's the thing that kept killing me was the six minutes, which like, I, it, there was a moment of like, do, do they really like, can you really be born that close? Or like, I feel like it's a longer, th- and then I was like, okay, get over that. Six minutes of sitting there, like six minutes of Woof. wondering if you're gonna die, is Woof. six hours. Like, yeah, that's yeah, brutal. It's not great. It's not great. <laughs> yeah, I think we're just not talking. We're just not talking about that. That was a rough chapter. That was a really yeah. rough chapter. Yeah, yeah. I don't have any goofs. Yeah, no goofs. He knew that baby. Sam knew that baby. By the way, that's a detail yeah. I didn't include. Sam knew the baby. Yeah, and he was like fuck like i knew that baby i should have checked on that baby like i knew and i just didn't and i hate myself <sighs> yeah like like the fucking volume got turned up on this this part like it's it's ramping up so much uh, uh, uh. yep fuck is wrong with you michael grant <laughs> yeah this is where you really look at it and you're like is it ya is it ya yeah i don't know mm. I mean, literally, one of the blurbs on the back of the book is, if Stephen King had written Lord of the Flies, it might have been a little like this. That's fucked up. Do you guys have a warning, a content warning on the back of your books? I don't have my book handy, but I don't remember seeing one. Yeah, I have a warning on the back of my book. Huh, I do not. Mine says, warning, contains scenes of cruelty and some violence. Oh, wow. Those are, like, not very specific. (laughs) They're not specific and very mild. Also, it um, that content warning is mildly redundant because it does say Michael Grant on the front of the book. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so. That's a great point. Yeah. Seems unnecessary. Yeah. How big do you have to be in the YA publishing industry to walk into your editor's office and go, there's a dead baby, but I think I can get away with it? <laughs> Woof. <laughs> So the movies, huh? Oh. Yeah, some of this stuff would never make it. Yeah, it's not going into the movies for sure. Like, the the most you could do is have a conversation about it, like, after the fact, I feel. Yeah, otherwise it's like, um, Ewan McGregor, the drug, the baby, the drugs. Trainspotting? Thank you. Yeah, that one. Um, Yeah, it would be Sam talking to Astrich. Uh, just like, hey, this is what I did today. And then she looks him directly in the eyes and goes, 
she started she started a podcast. She started a podcast. In the phase. It goes out to everybody. <laughs> it's called the phase cast. The phase. Oh no, I'd call it it's not a phase. It's not a phase. Yeah. That's pretty good. It's not a phase, Mom. God. It's not a phase, it's my life. More. Okay. Drake is a sadist and hates Diana. That's almost all you need to know about this until Computer Jack was able to break into Sam's mom's computer and Drake watched her read something very interesting. Her being Diana. Watched her read something very interesting, but they didn't share with him what was going on because he has dead eyes and a shark smile. That's Those are extraneous details, but I'd like to make it the reason why. They then pulled out the lockbox and they snap it open and they pull out Sam's mom's will and a newspaper clipping about the bus incident and then they find what they're looking for. His birth certificate, neatly folded. And Drake's like, those idiots are sharing some kind of secret. And I don't know what it is. And it takes him quite a while to figure out, uh, because he's bad at listening and also a sociopath. They think Kane is Sam's twin brother, and that they were separated at birth, and the dad was absent from both of their lives, but the mom decided to only take one and took Sam. And... Drake is taking immense pleasure in watching Kane try to sort this out and like have pain over his family and he's panicking because his birthday and Sam's birthday it's it's November 22nd which is five days from now and Sam is three minutes older than him and he's like Kane's just freaking out about all of this about blinking out about his birthday about his brother blah 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 and Drake loves it. Let me get to Astrid, who's hanging out on the porch in the sun for once, when Sam comes pedaling up as fast as he can, being like, the twins blinked out of existence, they're gone. And Astrid's like, what? what? What's happening? And Sam's having this good old panic attack about the whole ordeal. And he starts oscillating between panic and bad jokes. And then he swings for a heart to heart. And he's like, by the way, I don't regret that kiss at all. And then they're interrupted by this crash and Pete screaming. They run over there and they find this rock laying by Petey and Panda and Quinn are standing there like, <laughs> get him. And Sam starts losing it. Like, what the fuck? Why would you throw a rock at an autistic kid? What the fuck is wrong with you? And they're like, hey, man, we're robbing houses of their gaming systems to entertain the kids. We're doing good out here. And he's like, just because you're doing one good thing doesn't excuse the fact that you threw a rock at a kid and hit him and hurt him like that you can't do one good thing and then do a bad thing and think they cancel each other out that's not how any of this works eventually sam gets fed up of trying to explain this to them and so he turns around to walk back to astrid and quinn flips him off and then sam's like fuck these guys i i don't even know what's going on with him right now once astrid gets pd calmed down they start talking about what had just happened and sam's like i don't i can't believe quinn's doing this but i think quinn will come around he's like a good guy he's all he's fine like he's my friend or whatever and astrid's like you know in normal circumstances you guys are are similar people you you are you can get along you can be similar but in these crazy circumstances, there are some people that rise to the occasion and there are some that go the opposite way and fall. And Quinn is the opposite. You rise to the occasion, Quinn gets worse. And Sam contemplates that with a thousand yard stare while Astrid tries to come to terms with her own feelings, which is that Sam has a destiny and she has not believed in destiny before today. We. Oui. So can she see the future? Ooh. Is that her power? future maybe well, her power is just like advice <laughs> uh. her power is dr phil her um is dr. Phil. so 
I I can't fathom a a universe where you could throw a rock at a kid. Any any kid, you throw a rock at a kid, and then you like are like, it's okay. Why are you so mad? Well, because you threw a rock at a kid. Like I can't. I, there's no downplay in that one. Yeah, I agree. And like. Again, the wild, like, I bought good karma by doing this allegedly good thing, so I'm now allowed to do a bad thing. Like, what? What? Yeah, I don't get that. Like, that's a weird, like, transactional way to live. Like, here I did two good things, let's go throw rocks at kids now. And I, like, what? Do you want to... Do you want to purchase your rock, kid rock throwing? Whoa. Nope, not going to call it that. Let's change that one. Kid <laughs> Yeah. Ball with the ball. Bag. <laughs> uh, yeah. Like you're going to purchase it through other good deeds? Like a weird, weird way of looking at life. It's wrong. I'll say it. It's a wrong way of looking at it. Yeah. You dumb, dumb. Dumb idiots. Quinn's pissing me off. I hate Quinn. Me too. Throw him in the trash. He's just a guy. Hit him with your car. Throw rocks at him. Throw rocks at him. <sighs> it's okay. I'll do something good in a few minutes. Make up for it. It'll I love right. that. Yeah. yeah, just donate like $10 to the Humane Society and then yeah. whip a rock at this kid's head. <laughs> it's like confessionals. That's where I would end up in the phase. I would work at the Humane Society of the phase. <gasps> Where yeah. we took in all the pets. Yeah. That's what I you. would do. That'd be to great. hell with all the people and their problems. Yeah. I'm going to go play with puppies. Yeah. I love that. And they're probably superpower puppies. <gasps> yeah. Which is how they became like sentient and built a set of robots that it all comes back. <laughs> it always comes back to it. You're on. Part two of book one, Tim. <laughs> Alex looked like she was like furious with me for a second. That's what you said when I tried to parse out if a universal translator chip would know what fuck meant. <laughs> oh my God. Maybe I just have like a really angry thinking face. Like maybe that's maybe. my problem. <laughs> like I always have this snap moment of, oh no, I've disappointed Alex and now she's going into a blind rage. And yet has it ever really happened? I don't think so. No. There's no way to know. Yeah. There's no way to know. I'm just constantly in a blind rage. <laughs> yeah. That's my secret, Cap. <laughs> I understood that reference. <laughs> Another one. All right. 129 hours and 34 minutes. Sam Astridge. Fucking Jesus! <laughs> now it's going to be constant. Astrid and Petey head to the grocery store. Howard is out front blocking people. <laughs> I didn't do this Stop one. It. I didn't do it. Like that's why I love it so much. Is I had nothing to do with it. It's the traumatic brain injuries coming back. <laughs> this is my bouncing bet moment. Next thing you know, Sam and Astrid. Sam and Astrid. I think we could parse out what she's saying if we try really hard. Anyways, they go to the grocery store. Howard is out front blocking people from going in. And he's like, give me your list. And they're like, we don't have a list. And okay, do you have pencil and paper? And he's like, yeah, right here. So he lets them write it out. 
And basically, he explains produce and meat. Anything fresh is fair game because it's going bad. But canned goods, they need special permissions. And Astrid is kind of like, yeah, it makes some sense. So, all right. So they head in there and they start shopping. And all is going well until Astrid sees Panda. And the next thing they know, Sam is getting walloped on the head by Drake, who has a baseball bat. He knocks him like just gone, like gone in one shot. And then Diana's there too. And they start to take Astrid and Petey. And Sam is blinded with duct tape and bound. And there was Myler put over his hands. They dump him into a grocery cart where they start to push him to the high school. And on the way, Sam realizes that Quinn is there and not playing for the team they thought he was playing for. And in fact, Quinn has told all of the stuff that he knew about Sam to all of the bad guys, in quotation marks. At the high school, he gets dumped out of this this grocery cart and the duct tape ripped off his face, which takes his eyebrows with it, well, part of his eyebrows with it. And he sees before him Kane and Quinn and Panda and Orc and it's just a bunch of fucking idiots holding bats, ready to take him down. And Sam plays it pretty cool. He's like, mm, seems like you're scared of me because like I'm bound with my hands and like blindfolded and there's like five of you with baseball bats. Kane's like, I'm actually just really careful. And then he puts on this crazy display of power where he like pulls Sam, lifts him up, throws him across the floor, knocks him into a wall, is dunking him through the basketball hoop, letting Sam fall down from the basketball hoop to the floor and land on his back. And then Kane like pulls him closer and he's like, this is just the fraction of what I can do. And that's when Diana walks in and is like, bro, Kane, you are so disappointing to me. Sam is clearly not cooperating with you. Has he answered a single question since you've dunked him through the basket? And the answer is no. So that's when Diana's like, hey, we have Astrid and Petey and Drake's going to beat the fucking shit out of them if you don't answer all the questions. And Sam is immediately like, okay, what do you want to know? And the first thing they ask him, they're like, hey, we opened your birth certificate. Who is Tegan Smith? And Sam's like, I have no idea. And he's like, that's your dad. He's like, I literally don't know anything about my dad. And uh, Kane is like, yeah, it says on your birth certificate and Tegan's a pretty unique name, even though Smith is pretty common and Sam is still like, doesn't change anything. Still literally don't know anything about my dad. This is the first time I've ever heard his name, blah, blah, blah. And Kane's like, well, great news. We're brothers. They were twins. You were taken. You were kept. I was not. And Sam's like, this is quite a lot going on that there's very little evidence for, but all right, can you just let Astrid go? And that's when Drake runs in. And the worst fears ever have happened to Kane and Drake. Uh, basically what happened was Drake slept, Astrid, and they blinked away from existence. Gone. And Kane and Diana are like, what the fuck? How did this happen? How did they get out of here? Astrid is only a two. There's no way she could be a teleporter. The teleporter we know was a two and they could barely get across the room. And then it's like, did you read Petey? And Diana's like, the one with autism? And Kane's like, that's the one? And she's like, didn't think I had to? And Kane's like, well... Shit. That's how that chapter ends. Yeah, this is the 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 Kane, the the supervillain Kane mm-hmm. yeah. moment for me. Fucking Magneto. Yeah. It's not good. No. Also, Kane's in love with Diana, allegedly, according to Sam. He ships them. According to Sam Sam ships them. Kane <laughs> Sam is like watching this all go down like I wish Kane and Diana would just kiss. Oh my gosh, I love that for them. They're just so cute. Just bring them together and just kiss. And then Kane overhears that and he's like, well, what about you and Astrich? That's already happened, though. I know, I just wanted to say Astrich to make fun of you. That's fair, but Astrich is in the next chapter, so we can talk about Astrich all we want. Okay. In the next moment. Let's go. 
Yeah. Okay. All right. Let's talk about Astrich. 128 hours and 32 minutes. Cut back to Astrich and Petey. I can't hear that. Every time you say that, it's in the Rent song now because of Casey. There's no. I'm very sorry. Yeah. I'm very sorry. 128 hours, 32 minutes. <laughs> so we cut back to Astrid and Petey in the room. They were put in a fourth grade math classroom because Diana thought that Astrid likes math and books. And Astrid's like, this is fourth grade math. What are you doing? Anyways, uh, Astrid's, when Diana says, give me your hands, Astrid's like, oh, you read, you're a reader. You read people's shit. I should have figured that out like 10 years ago. And Diana's like, yeah, exactly. Anyways, you're going to be here with Drake. Drake's a sociopath. He likes killing and shit. So he's going to beat the shit out of you if Sam doesn't answer Kane's questions. And Astrid gets immediately terrified. Diana then leaves. And the whole plan is Diana's going to go check in on them. If she doesn't get back within a certain time frame, uh, Drake's just going to start beating the shit out of Astrid and Petey. Astrid avoids eye contact with Drake and then just goes and sits with Petey. But she does start asking him, like, why are you taking orders from them? Why are you with them? Kind of a thing. And Drake doesn't really answer he just immediately kind of goes off on this thing, trying to make Astrid called Petey a slur. And she's like, no. And then he gets closer and she's like, still no. And then he starts slapping her. And finally she starts repeating this in the shaky voice. And he makes the mistake of like cramming her head next to Petey and screaming at them, like screaming for her to repeat this. And then they just blink out of existence. Back at the gym, Sam's being dragged off by Howard and Ork. And he's telling them like, this isn't bullying, this is cold-blooded murder. And Howard's like, yeah, this is real fucked up, dude. And then Sam's like, well, d- then don't do then do not do this. And Howard's like, no, I'm a fucking coward, so I'm definitely going to do this. I mean, that's what it boils down to. He's like, everybody else is more powerful than me. They tie Sam up, like tie his legs, tie his waist, tie his legs to his waist. Then they put a bar in his hands at throat level, and they start loading it up with plates up to 200 pounds, which he can barely hold. He still has the Mylar bags on his hand. And so basically what's going to happen is he's going to get too tired. He's going to drop this bar in his throat and just suffocate to death. He does realize, like, hey, I can reach these Mylar things now. They've done this stupid thing, and I can, like, chew through it. So he starts trying to, like, rip it with his teeth, but he can't do that without dropping the barbell or the bar a little bit onto his neck. So he starts, like, chewing and then suffocating, chewing, suffocating. And he's alternating what he's doing, and he gets a little hole in one, but it doesn't even register a little hole in one of the Mylar bags. I'm sorry. I said a golf term, Tim. I saw you perk up. I'm so sorry. I didn't mean golf. That was an accident. Um, anyways, he doesn't even register when the door opens and Quinn walks in and Quinn starts taking the plates off and he's like, I'm sorry, man. I didn't know. I had no idea. You're still my brother. I still love you. I didn't realize they're going to betray you, blah, 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 blah. And Sam's like, this guy's fucking with me. This guy's fucking with me. And he's like, come on, man. No, I'm, I'm for real, for real, for real. 100. Love you, bro. And, uh, then he's like, yeah, you know what? You're going to stay here. And Quinn's like, no, no, no. They're going to kill me if I stay here. And Sam's like, okay, you can come with me, but you're not my bra anymore. Did we talk about how cool the Mylar balloon idea is? The Mylar balloon. Was it balloons? Yeah, it was Mylar balloons. He put it over his hands and they're like, yeah, shoot your light now. You just burn your own hands could. off. Well, that's what I was like. I was like. Just try it. There is. 99.9% of me believes that these balloons would stop nothing. But there's that 1% that's like, well, what if I burn my own hands off? Try it. Yeah. 
then you don't okay. have hands. Mm. But okay, okay, okay. So you, you hold out the hand, and the light comes out of the hand. So the light's coming out of the hand somehow. The light is touching your hand somehow. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So if you can't burn off your hands that way, mm-hmm. you can't burn them off in a mylar bubble. And he touched the ball of light in his closet, and it was just kind of warm. Like, he passed his hand through it, and it was not an unpleasant experience. So if you walk up and slap some lava... Yeah, you're good. Yeah, you'd be okay. But if somebody threw lava at you, I feel like that's the same logic. I don't know, because my hands don't produce lava. Yet. 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 Yeah. That's what I'm thinking. Also, maybe the light has a front and a back. There's front light and back light. Back light doesn't hurt you, only front light hurts you. I feel like you're trapping me in a weird sex thing, but before we get to that, (laughs) I do want to say that if I did produce lava from my hands... You can't go around to telling people that I'm trapping you in a weird sex thing. Like, that's how I end up in prison. No, 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 no. (laughs) No, it's fine. You won't go to prison. For what? What are they going to arrest you for? I don't know. Weird sex thing entrapment. You can't. No, it's not. It's not like that. I'm just saying. You got to be more specific. They're going to think like dungeon or something. You got to be like wordplay. Is it? (laughs) Okay. Anyways, back to the first thought I had that was way more important than Tim getting arrested for being a weird sex trapper guy. (laughs) A poacher. A sex poacher, if you will. Well, fuck my face and look at my cat. See, this is what I'm talking about. This is the type of thing that you can't just wear a safari hat and walk into somebody's house and say. (laughs) I'm imagining he's dressed like the guy from Jumanji. (laughs) This is such a build-up for such a stupid joke. Okay, Okay. if I shot lava out of my hands, what I would say before every time I did it was, I'm being (laughs) magmanimous. I would 100% speak exactly like the boulder from Avatar, except I would be the volcano. The volcano is not amused. <laughs> Magma animus. Magnanimous. <laughs> the boulder likes this idea. <laughs> All right, do you guys want the last chapter of the section that we read? Yeah. Yeah. Guess what? This is one of those famous Alex didn't finish writing it, so let's see what happens. 128 hours, 22 minutes. <laughs> We're going to have to do it the whole time now. I'm so sorry. I can't wait for you to run out of syllables. Like, how are you going to fill it in when you're... I bet I could skip over... I bet this could be like a fire-fire situation. Fire. <laughs> fire. 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 Fire, fire, fire. It could be, we could do it. It'll be fine. Okay. We'll, okay. we'll slur them together. It's a slur is a musical term. <laughs> so Sam and Quinn are bolting through town. They pick up a dealio at the fire station, then continue pell-mell towards the docks. And the whole time, Quinn's like, don't you want to stay hidden? Where are we going? Wait, isn't Astrich going to be at home? And they're trying to, like, they're like, no, no, dude, no, just just come with us. So they get to these docks. They start searching for a boat. And everybody's looking towards Adelia, like, how do we pick a good boat? And they're like, one that has gas and turns on would be great. 
So they're going down the rows, and finally Quinn finds one, fires it up. It's all gassed up, ready to go. Sam and Adelio jump in. They toss off the lines, and that's when Orc and his goons showed up on the dock because they had passed some of the other goons as they ran in, and they're like, okay, somebody must have told them we're here. So, like, Orc's sitting there, and they're like, even Orc could clear this distance right now. So they're kind of, like, looking back and forth between, like, the boat, the dock, the boat, the dock, and Adelio's like, hit the throttle. Also, I get seasick. So Sam grabs the throttle, hits it forward. They smash into the side of the dock, but they are pointing miraculously out towards the sea. And so they end up going there, and that's when Sam is like, Quinn, yell that I made you do it. And Quinn's like, but you didn't make me do it. And Sam's like, don't be a fucking idiot. Yell that I made you do it. So Sam's like, he made me do it. and Or sorry, Quinn's like, he made me do it. And Sam punches him straight in the fucking mouth. And Quinn's like, why didn't you hit me? And he's like, you idiot to sell it, obviously. Uh, so... They say they're going to get Astrid. What he has said to to Quinn, what Sam has said to Quinn, is that she is going to be at, uh, where the fuck? Oh, the power plant. So they're heading north towards the power plant. And they start heading the boat north towards the power plant. That's when Orc and everybody runs. Cut back to Drake. Drake takes his guns because his dad is a cop. So he grabs his three, the three cop guns, one's a rifle, and heads over to Astrid's house. Because he's like, I'm going to shoot her in Little Petey. I'm going to sneak up on her. We're going to hunt her, blah, blah, blah. Front door, back door is locked, opens a window, searches the house, takes him like 10 minutes. There's nobody fucking there. So he burns the place to the ground, like puts gasoline everywhere, sets their fucking house on fire. Heads back to the town square because they weren't in the house. And he starts knocking out all of these vents on the top of the, like, bell tower thing at the church. And he climbs up there and he takes a watch because he can see Astrid's house burning from there. So he's waiting for anybody to run out of it and he's going to shoot them. He sees many people running around. None of them are Astrid. But you know what else he sees? He has a view of the docks from where he is. And he watches the whole thing go down with them, looking for the boat, finding the boat, getting away from Orc, going north. He watches Orc and the goons run back. Then he sees the boat turn south, and he goes, I know exactly where she is. You know where it is? It's exactly where Astrid is and exactly where Sam knew Astrid would be. It's back at the hotel from night number one, which is to the south. And Drake knows that if he leaves right now, he has a chance of beating Sam there and making sure that Sam watches as he shoots Astrid to death. And that's how we end this. Drake is the worst. It's not great. This is another common uh, grantism is douchebag with guns. Mm -hmm. Some David slash Keith energy from this this asshole. Yep. Uh, David didn't have guns, but I feel like his dad was like a cop. His dad was like or yeah, yeah. He was like government security. Yeah, same cut from the same cloth. Cut from the same gun cloth. Yep. Ooh, wild boy. ride. Yeah. That was a fucking intense part of the book. Yeah. Yeah. Multiple deaths. And we are still like none percent into this whole thing. <laughs> yeah. So much has happened. Yeah. Yeah, we're like four percent into this book series. Yeah. Hot damn. Yep. Wow. Wow. Well, I'm excited to keep going. Me too. Are you still sticking with your same sort of overall theories? If I could remember what I had said. <laughs> sure. 
Well, seven minute outro. I yeah. love it. All right, shit. Uh, if you want to tell me how to pronounce Astrid correctly, please email me at anonymousanimorphs at gmail.com or find me on Facebook at Animorphs Anonymous or Apple Grant Book Club or on Twitter and Instagram at Animorphs Anon or Apple Grant Cast. Find me all of those places. I noticed a couple of Astriches and then you went right back to Astrid and I'm like, I can't tell if she's doing it on purpose now or if it's just completely gotten away from her. In the last, in the last part of the recap, mm-hmm. you mean? Yeah, the first ones were goofs, and then I got tired of my own goof. <laughs> Just go with the flow, you know. You can talk about your pronunciation of things on the Discord server. Uh, all pronunciations are valid, but come hang out with us on the Discord server. Uh, the, 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 contact us on our socials to get the link to that, and come hang out with us our friends. I'm sorry about what my voice just did. I hope you understood any of that. Well, it doesn't matter. I'm done with your voice. Give me something to read. <laughs> the violent intro. <laughs> okay. Could I I'll could I interest you now. in a copy of Dead Eye Dick? Alex? <laughs> you could she... not. I need it with more pictures. Now. Uh, if you would like my voice, but in written and drawn form, because it is my words and ideas but expressed not vocally uh you can check out my web comic it's free to read it's called b-side you uh check it out at b-s-i-d-e-y-o-u comic.com or aloofdroop.com read it for free on top of some webtoons go to my patreon and read it not for free but in exchange you get early access pages and work in progress pages uh that's at patreon.com slash kdd fuck ghosts patreon.com slash kcd studios dear god someone save me Patreon.com slash KCD Studios. And for only 5,400,632 minutes a month, <laughs> you can buy the Slater cast. <laughs> That's how money and time work. Don't question it. That's where Dan and I uh, get in the Dan van. We It's Tuesday morning. We've got coffee. We've got croissants. We've got in the Dan van. We read the comics we sit down we record our thoughts about how slater is the best character we then spend hours editing we had so many zany sound effects we're basically shock jocks and (laughs) then we publish it only to casey's patreon and only for that amount of money that i said previously patreon.com slash kcd studios time is money it was quite a profound statement that you made alex as an artistic piece. Sometimes, like, my art degree just comes out in ways that I can't comprehend, okay? Like, s- some people, they gotta go under museum floorboards and jerk it while rich assholes stand over them. I can sometimes just... <laughs> that's a real That's a real art installation yeah, that I happened. Yeah, I believe that. I believe that. Yeah, at, like, the Met. Like, it, it's probably not the Met. But, like, at a real art museum, that was, in, that was a live performance that happened. They went under floorboards and jerked The artists it? did. Yeah. yeah. And then all of the people paid to be part of that thing, they stood over top of the floorboards knowing that was happening. And that was like the performance. Was it like a glass bottom? No. You just couldn't see them? You just you knew just it was couldn't. happening? I will I Google can do that for thing. free. Yeah. Somewhere <laughs> someone's jerking it. And I know that. And I... It's but fine. they got paid. They got paid for it. They and got... that's the difference. Oh, my God.
I don't know how I feel about any of that. Art is stupid. <laughs> the performance end. art is... Listen, art is... Art's a lot of things. Performance art is out of fucking control. Yeah. <laughs> I have feelings. It's fine. Why are you dancing in a yarn suit? I don't even understand <laughs> what you're trying to tell me. Dancing in a yarn suit. <laughs> um, shit. Other podcasts exist. What are they? Tim. Horse Horse Girls, which is amazing. Late Starters, which is a Pokemon TTRPG. Uh, and The Way We Haunt Now, which everybody should go get caught up on seasons one and two right before uh, we start the campaign for dollars for season three. Because after you listen to season one and two, you'll want to give dollars for season three. 30 doll hairs. What other podcasts are there, Smooth Transition? Is my name Smooth Transition, or were you just saying uh, There's that? honestly no way to know at this point. Okay, it's me, Smooth Transition, here to tell you about other podcasts that, that you can listen to in your ears. Uh, those include podcasts such as Dungeons and Drakenbeams, an Animorph D&D podcast that we do. I don't know if the smooth is the transition or my voice and the transition was secondary, but I'm going to keep rolling with it. You can also check out Surprise Attack Book Club, which is a surprise that I remembered it this time and every time. You can also check out Questmaster. We have a YouTube channel now where you can find all of our Questmaster videos. Have at it. They're great. I love them. And I think those are all of the podcasts that we do. Smooth is your first name. Transition is your last name. But I don't know if my voice should just be smooth or I should commit to the transition. Yes. Please, transition was my father. <laughs> Let's transition this to silence. Fuck my face! Look at my cat! <laughs>